Hey, John, how's it going, buddy? Hey, Brandon. Happy, uh, I don't even know what today is, but happy to hear from you. Happy to hear from you. <laughs> how's it going? Good, good. So it's been a crazy week this week. Lots gone on since Thanks. our last podcast. I think we, you know, we riled up some people yeah. and had some conversations since then. Yeah. Uh, I just want to publicly first say that we're not anti any product. If you have something nope. you're using, you like it, keep using it. If you have a mix you yep. like, a sealer you like, whatever it is, keep using it. The second part of this is an interesting conversation that you and I had because you talked to George King, who we're going to be interviewing today for our podcast. But you talked yes. to George King earlier this week, and George had expressed to you when he came to our class, uh, at least the way you kind of phrase it to me is when he came to the class, you know, we're saying, this is, this is a product you want to use. This is the best product, blah, 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 blah. And he felt like but, some resistance to that because he was using a different product and a different sealer. And we're yeah, like- a little defensive. Yeah. I, I think he admitted to me, you know, straight up when we were talking, you know, this kind of internalization, this defensiveness. And I get that, you know, I, I never really looked at it like that before before George kind of expressed it to you. But then you said that you were talking to Martin Haddock and he brought it up yeah. on his own. Right. And so it's kind of he the did, way, yeah. you know, the universe is telling us something like, hey guys, maybe be aware that when you say that this is the best product, some people perceive that in a negative way. And I get that. Right. And so what, what I would say is, you know, we're not telling you that what you're using is wrong and that you don't know what you're doing. If you have a product that's working for you, keep using it. What we're saying is based on our history, our experience using a lot of products, a lot of sealers, a lot of mixes, a lot of ad mixes, a lot of plasticizers, a lot of whatever that we've used over the years. These are the best products we've ever used. We're not saying what you're doing is wrong. What we would encourage you to do is order some mix. You can call yeah. up Joe Bates and you can buy 30 pounds of mix. Yeah. Order up some Try mix. It. Order up some TV. Run a comparison. Exactly. exactly. And look at them side by side. And when you do that, I think you'll see, oh, okay, now I get what they're saying. And you won't feel like we're personally attacking you because we're not personally attacking you. I just made a phone call. I think it was today. It might've been yesterday with a guy in New York who's had experience using everything from ductile, you know, anyways, from, you know, super high end UHPCs through the various vendors currently available. And he just got done ordering some material. It's not to him yet, but I actually called him up with an honest to God excitement to say, man, I can't wait to get his input. Good, bad, or otherwise, it doesn't matter to me. Just to, with someone with the kind of experience that he has, I'm really excited to hear his feedback. We're open to having a conversation with anybody. We, we've invited uh, numerous people yeah. that use other products, that sell other products, whatever, to come have a conversation with us. We'd like to talk to you. We'd love to have an open conversation, an honest conversation. You know, the thing about what we do on this podcast is, in my opinion, John and I share a very, very honest, truthful assessment mm -hmm. of whatever it is we're talking about. But those are opinions. You know, nothing is written right. in law. Nothing is absolute. Well, it's opinions based on experience. I exactly. mean, this isn't just us waking up this morning and, you know, putting a stake in the ground and going, this is what my opinion is. I mean, this is a history of sacrifice and choices and, you know, recasts and failures and breakages and, I mean, name them, that's brought us to where we are here today. Exactly. And that's what I was going to say is I've used tons of topical sealers. I've used tons of different mixes. I've used tons of different ad mixes. Based on that experience, that has formed my opinion on things. Right. But my opinion is not law. 
John's Maybe opinion. Perspective. Is not Let's use the politically correct word. We'll call it perspective. Okay, whatever you want to call it. But what I'm <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that's just my own personal opinion. But on this podcast, the Concrete Podcast, that is yeah. what we discuss. But we're we're sure. doing it from a very truthful, honest viewpoint. It's not from a point of we're trying to sell our product by putting down another product. No. In fact, we invite those people. I mean, uh, other product manufacturers or resellers or distributors. Yeah, guys. I mean, Brandon and I are pretty easy to get a hold of. We got a discussion group, um, business pages. Man, if you're interested and want to put a perspective and be part of a conversation, because that's the way we look at these. It's, it's a conversation. You know, we're clearly going to talk about the things that we're a part of, but you know, we welcome anybody. Yeah. Come on board. Absolutely. Yeah, have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't, this isn't uh, just a one-sided thing. So anybody that wants to have a no. conversation that wants to discuss their product, clear the air or whatever it is you want to do, give us, give us a call, send us a text and we'll set a time and we'll do an interview. And make it fun. Again, this is not about putting a dartboard and throwing darts at each other. Exactly. This is a great conversation because this is what, it, I mean, really, we're talking the same group of, this is how we pay our mortgages and feed our families. So all of this is relevant, how you market, what materials you're using, how you're using them. You know, it's great. I love all this. I agree. And I, I would say, honestly, I think if we have enough conversations with enough people that have different views and experiences than we do, I think yeah. the common thread will be we have more that we agree upon than what we disagree upon. So we'd like to have those conversations. You want to have a conversation, reach out to us. We'll schedule you and we'll, we'll get you on the podcast. So there's that. Um, you know, something we did a couple of weeks ago was weekly failure. And I went first. Yeah. So is there a failure you want to tell a story about, John? My worst failure actually had to do with reinforcement. Not understanding reinforcement, not really, you know, getting the idea of where reinforcement went, fiber loadings and et cetera. And for us, like anybody, we're under these deadlines trying to get things done. Cast this top with a center cutout for a sink. This is, I mean, to me, I can't put anybody into this specific moment, but it was a moment of like utter tragedy and laughter all at the same time because it was my brother who was working with me at the time. We go to pull this top and it wasn't even that big. It was like eight feet. <laughs> it was literally not that big with like a 28 inch cutout in the center. Everybody knows what we're talking about. If you've done concrete countertops, it was a true precast piece. So we moved it to the edge of the table. We went to tilt it and then we picked it up. And this thing, I mean, it just broke. It broke into like four pieces. I was still holding on to my end that just flopped down and banged on. Uh, we were actually in the, working in the garage at the time. We just dropped and fell on like right at my feet and I'm still holding it. I'm bent over still holding on to my piece. And I picked up my head real fast and instantly anybody who's had been there, this rush of like, you gotta be freaking kidding me, man. And I looked over at my brother and he was still, so he had been standing there staring at me while I was still looking at this piece that half of it had hit essentially right at my toes. And I looked at it and there was this moment of silence that to my memory, 
seemed like it lasts forever. And the only words that came out of my mouth was, I guess let's recast. Let's form it back up. And he looked at me and we got all this rubble at our feet and these chunks and these pieces. And it was at that moment when I watched this whole piece go sideways that we took about a week and I really started looking at fiber reinforcement, scrims, um, you know, where to place them and what does it mean for tensile strength? And we had, I put myself through quite an education there based on that massive failure, which cost us a week, you know, et cetera. So you didn't, you didn't call column mix and a little German piglet went, Oh, it's the, it's the fibles in the mixer. (laughs) None of that. I didn't know who to call. No, I had no idea who to call at that time. Well, your story sounds very similar to my story. Yeah. Except no, there wasn't was a whole fun. class of people that paid money to be there yeah. to witness it. <laughs> so it was just the two of us. But like I said, I was laughing so hard because <laughs> as if magically this piece was going to put itself back together, right? Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. But I, I literally, I was still bent over holding onto it. Like, I don't believe this. Like, we could make this work. <laughs> well, I think we've all been there. You know, I've I've had... I had a guy work here, James. Oops, sorry. I'm moving around too much. I had a guy working here named James, and we had some catastrophic failures when he was here, some, some big pieces, not, you know, the form came apart when we we're casting, hydraulic pressure, that kind of thing. And uh, I just like, oh, okay, well, let's clean it up. Let's clean the form up. Let's rebuild it, and we'll cast again tomorrow. Yeah, and, what are you going to do? Right? And he said, dude, I am like so impressed with how calm you are with this, you know? I said, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Am I going to yell and, and throw things and get mad? I'm like, is that going to change anything? No, let's just, let's clean it up. Let's rebuild it. Let's do it again. Learn from whatever happened here. Like, where did we miss a screw? Where did we miss putting another whaler? Where do we miss whatever? Let's fix it and let's do it again. We don't got time to get angry and, and you know, throw stuff. But there was a time when I was younger that I did go bananas and throw stuff and break stuff and go down that road. No, we ended up just laughing, man. The two of us, I mean, after that, you know, <laughs> so what are you going to do? All this rubble at our feet that whatever. It, was, it wasn't even 30 seconds ago. Like literally four seconds ago, sitting on this table was somebody's concrete countertop. And X seconds label, <laughs> it's just a shitload of freaking rubble at our feet. So two things. I'll, I'll tell you two quick, quick stories. One was when I was casting my concrete countertops for my house, I was getting very impatient waiting on somebody to come help me take a piece off a table and put it on an A-frame cart that I was going to use to transport mm-hmm. it to my house. So I said, I'll just do it with my forklift, right? I'll just do it with my forklift. Uh, so what I did is I picked up the piece, put it up to the A-frame, tilted it up on the A-frame, and then I picked up the A-frame with the forklift. That's what it was. But I hadn't attached the piece to it. But in my mind, the physics of it, it wasn't going to fall off. I was just going to pick up the A-frame oh. and move it. But when I picked it up, it like rotated the A-frame because the weight of the piece rotated in like a, you know, backward motion. And a piece just flipped off, hit the ground, and it had a big sink cut out, like only like four inch rails on the front and back and broken two pieces. And had I waited five more minutes, my helper would have been here. But I was just getting impatient. I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. So, you know, I'm going to get it done when it gets here. I'll have the A-frame over at the house. We'll wheel it in. We'll get it installed. You know, I'm just getting it done. I'm getting it done. And that's what happened. Second thing was years ago, like 
probably 15 years ago in Phoenix, I went to go take a sample to an architect named Eddie Jones. I remember it because his office was in downtown Phoenix. And I had a Dodge Ram. And in this parking lot, every parking spot was taken. And I was getting frustrated, right? I was driving around and every parking spot was taken. So finally, I'm just like, ugh. I put it in reverse. I'm backing up. I'm like looking in the mirror, but I'm backing up. And there was like this short, con- it used to be where a light was, like a parking lot light, but it wasn't there. The light wasn't there anymore. So it was just this concrete like barrel in the middle of the parking lot that I didn't see when I was backing up. And I caught it on like the back right-hand side of the truck and it lifted up my truck and spun it sideways in the parking lot. Cause I was going like 25 miles an hour backwards. Cause I was pissed off. Right. I'm like, boom. And it, I mean, it came out of nowhere. Like I, I obviously wasn't expecting to hit this thing. My truck up, turned it sideways. I get out the whole side of my truck is caved in. Like the, you know, it's like a four door Dodge Rams all caved in on that side. Oh yeah. What are you going to do? Like I boop, boop, lock my truck, walk <laughs> and all their windows are facing right there. So the whole office had like seen me do this. Right. I just left my truck right there. I walk in. I'm like, Hey, I got a concrete sample to drop off to Eddie. They're like, okay. I'm like, all right, you guys take care. <laughs> and I go back out and get in and drive off. One wheels all wiggling as you're headed out the parking lot with your truck now shaped like a horseshoe. Oh, that'd be hilarious. The funny thing was initially, cause I, my truck had gotten hit. True, true story in the parking lot at my shop, a trash truck or somebody had hit the tailgate, turn it, turn in this corner. Cause the way the parking was really tight. So trucks are swinging really wide. So somebody hit the tailgate, the bumper and put a big gouge into it. And so I already had called the insurance claim for that. Right. So the guy came out, He's like, oh, I'm here for a claim. I'm like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's here. And then this whole side of the truck over here, it, it, he's like, yeah, no, that's something totally different. I'm like, I don't know, man. I came out and he's like, I'm going to tape measure and measure it. But those are two different heights. I was like, oh, whatever. I guess I'll call and file a different claim. <laughs> I tried. Well, you think if I send I it in, they could just deal with it all at the same time? Yeah, oh, I tried. Fun. No, it was two different claims. I had to pay two different uh, co-pays or whatever the hell it's called. So today we're going to be interviewing George King, Missoula, George, Montana. Yeah. yeah, Freestone. He came to a class and he's doing concrete sinks, countertops, that kind of stuff. Really good guy. I love George. He's switched over to Maker Mix and is using our products, which we love. We're happy to talk to people that aren't using our products. So let's just put that out there. Absolutely. Uh, but you want to give George a call? Yeah, let's do it. Let's give George a call. George. Hello, George. <laughs> Hello, John and Brandon. <laughs> so, George, where are you located? Uh, Missoula, Montana. Missoula, Montana. And then what's the name of your business? Uh, the business is Freestone Concrete Works. Freestone Concrete Works. And how long have you been doing concrete? Uh, about five and a half, six years now. Awesome. And what do you do yeah. primarily? Pretty much everything in the shop, um, look for jobs, bid jobs, meet with clients, pour pieces, the whole, the whole gamut, I guess, of concrete. Well, I was speaking more of, do you do countertops, sinks, tile, bathtubs? Like what's your main, main thing? Oh yeah. Um, the main thing that we do is, uh, concrete countertops, uh, fire surrounds, a lot of hearths, um, fire tables. Um, outdoor kitchens, stuff like that. So, so pretty much everything. 
Yeah. Nice. Pretty much if a client has a request, we'll, we'll, we'll build it for them. Concrete urinals. Haven't done that yet. Thank goodness. <laughs> Have you had anybody bring that up to you? No, I haven't. Oh, God. Have you? N- more times than you can imagine. I've had people bring it up to me. And it's always like when I used to do trade shows back in the day, which are a bad idea. Trade shows are a waste of time, in my opinion. Now, I could be wrong, but I'm probably not because I did enough of them to know that most people come to a trade show on a weekend to kill time, not to really find a product. If they want to buy your product, they would have found you beforehand. Uh, but people would come and they'd come in my booth and their kids would be like knocking everything off, you know, the countertops, playing with the brochures, just making a mess. And they're totally ignoring their kids. And then the, the husband is sitting there saying, you know what you should do? I'm like, oh God, don't do it. Don't, don't say it. You know what you should do? And I'm like, don't say it. You should make a concrete urinal. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. I'm like, not enough options in the urinal market for you? You want to piss on my concrete? Is that what you're saying? Well, I didn't say that. I'm like, well, you implied it, didn't you? Well, I would have really caught you if someone stopped you and like, you want to piss on my concrete? Yeah. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I'm into that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Get out of my bed. <laughs> I charge extra right. for that. That's terrible. I know it is. But yeah, what are you going to do? Well, you got your new sealer now, so hopefully it doesn't stain. Oh, no. Your urinal. Urine goes right through it. <laughs> That's the one flaw. <laughs> we don't tell anybody about that flaw. Thanks for bringing it out, George. <laughs> You yeah. haven't tested that yet, have you, <laughs> John? Yeah, I test everything. My wife hates it because I, <laughs> I do it in all the bathroom sinks just to, <laughs> just to make sure. She what? What are you doing? I, I thought I locked the door. I'm just testing the sink. Oh man, good stuff. So, George, what do you want to talk about today? I guess in the last three months, we really started using maker mix and we've been pretty happy with it um we've used it in you several say, like commercial you say pretty happy <laughs> I was that, waiting that, for that, that implies not 100 percent happy so what are you unhappy with let's let's get that on the table first i don't want to make it too dramatic so we're really happy with it um we haven't had any issues um and the sealer uh, the ict is working great as well um I don't think I'm unhappy with anything. I think what I need to get ahead of is samples, colors, stuff like that. I, I had a long conversation with John earlier this week about um, carbon float and stuff like that. So it's really just getting getting a good set of samples with the Maker's Mix um, because I, I had gone from like a totally different mix to, to what we're using now. So um, obviously like colors kind of change a little bit and um, I've also switched from using a lot of topical sealers to um, the penetrating ICT, and that kind of changes color for sure. Yeah, it's just kind of getting used to that. So you love Maker Mix and ICT. Is that fair to say? I do. I do. I I think that it's great. It's super consistent. Uh, When I pour uh, SEC mixes into my molds, I don't end up with mass like mass amounts of pinholes uh i don't have to take a bunch of time grouting and uh kind of reshaping the piece into something that i want to give the client so i really like that because it's a little bit more expensive than what i was used to but it saves me a lot of time on the end in fabrication and processing so i really like that part 
about the maker's mix. So without taking into account that it's materials are more than you're paying, but time is less, would you say it's a break even or? Oh, I would say that it's a, that it's a savings and I am making money using that mix because I've up my square footage prices and clients are willing to pay that. And I think it was just me having to take that leap into jumping my square footage price. Uh, that was a conversation into, we had early on. I mean, you were also, in my opinion, sure. considered one of the early adopters. And I still remember the fiasco going on. Remember when the when shipping rates jumped through the roof? And I still remember you coming back. And remember, it took you like eight months to finally pay off that invoice on shipping? Yeah. Oh, you're full of it. <laughs> <laughs> I pay all my debts on time. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. But I do. That was one of our conversations, remember? And we had this whole conversation that was, because that, was, that, that was a moment of contention, I would say. Oh, no between, question. Between, well, <laughs> no, I'm just first kidding. of all, contention for all of us when the shipping went, I was just nuts. I mean, that was a nutty time when a $300 something all of a sudden was $1,500. I mean, that, but that's on LTL companies. I, I still don't understand that. I don't know if they've come back, but that's a whole different conversation. Two days ago, Southeastern Freight Lines was supposed to do a pickup of some tables for me. And the day of, they contacted the broker I hired, eShipping, and told them they're going to assess a $1,000 pickup fee in addition to the freight. The day of. Wow. And so he called me up. He's like, hey, dude, we just canceled Southeastern Freight because they just ca called us and said they're going to assess a $1,000 fee. So he's like, we switched you to a different carrier. The first one, in my opinion, from a shipping has been a fiasco or was a fiasco. Has, has, on your end, have you seen some of that calm down? Get, you know, taking materials up to Montana? Um, I would say no. It, it's, it's still about the same. Um, I think I pay, paid about the same amount of shipping that I did wow. the first time. Uh, but honestly, it's not, it's not bothering me. The three pallets that came on the second order, I would say that it, it actually came quite a bit like cleaner than the first first order. And I'm not really sure if you guys want to talk about this, but yeah, let's talk all the bags. It. Like we didn't we didn't actually have any uh, punctured bags um, in the pallets, and the pallets were nice and tight, shrink wrapped, and it was just a cleaner order. So it was nice. It seems like Solomon's kind of getting their act together with your product. When you had that problem. Because me and John, every every issue we take seriously and we try to address it. So you had that problem with the bag showed up ripped. And I called them and I said, this, you know, this is a problem. And uh, so they went back and they changed the way they stacked the bag. So they're within the pallet. They weren't up to the edge. And then right. they were sure to really shrink wrap them tight. And they're actually going to start doing um, plastic bags over the shrink wrap as well and staple those down just to really waterproof the pallets as well uh, for the weather. But yeah, Solomon's great. But yeah, if there's problems, yeah, we talk to them and, and they make adjustments. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, there was definitely a big improvement. I'm really looking forward to using, if I can change subjects, is to trying out the new pigments that I, I just ordered some new pigment from you guys. They're uh, so good. The Jet, the Stone, and uh, I can't remember what the other gray. Stone, Slate, Alabaster, and Jet. Yeah, so Slate. So Stone, Jet, and, and Slate, but I got um, I didn't get the alabaster yet. Yeah, I don't even use it because I like Maker Mix natural. I don't like to make it wider than natural because, in my opinion, then it looks fake. It doesn't look like concrete. But that's just my own personal preference. Some people love like burn your eyes out, bleached white concrete. Mm -hmm. Designers like it. I've had plenty of designers over the years specify as white as I can get it. But 
you're going to really, really like the pigments. They're really good pigments. But not only that, as you've kind of found out, you do have to cast new samples because Maker Mix and Rad Mix greatly enhance the color because of the density of the mix. And so what you're used to and what it is now is two different things. So that's, I wouldn't say it's a downside, but it's something that you really should do. So when you present a client, hey, here's the color, it's going to be the color. Exactly. Yep. Well, and you also touched on something, the idea, whatever pigments you're currently using, you're getting some amounts of float. Or you and I talked about it anyway, I call it carbon float. And that's just the idea that carbon black has a tendency in certain situations with certain amount of plasticizers and it'll float. And ultimately, what does that do? It lightens, especially in a precast situation, it lightens what eventually is the final surface. We're not seeing that. You're going to have a tough time getting it to float with these new pigments because of the different particle sizes that have been addressed. Uh, to me, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But um, and the lower get over that. dosages because 2% yeah. is really dark. 3% is insanely dark. So you're not loading pigments at, you know, I used to do carbon at seven, eight, nine, 10%. You know, that was what Buddy Rhodes pigments uh, used to recommend back in the day up to 10%. And at those loadings, it greatly weakened the concrete. But then, yeah, you get a lot more of the, uh, the carbon floating on the backside. Well, I got something to throw on the, you know, to talk about with you, George. So the other day when you and I were talking, and again, I, I'm just going to put on the, as we're talking, when I talk to people, including yourself, I love that we put the human aspect, you know, to everything all of us are doing, right? I mean, your family, you got things going on, you got mortgages to pay, you've been doing this for X amount of years. And something that hit me, and I've been talking to Brandon about this the last couple of days since I talked to you, put it into your own words because I'm paraphrasing per our conversation. And I found very interesting when we were talking about, I'm going to say the I don't know, the, I'm going to call it the emotional attachment that people can get with the materials that they're using at the time, one way or another, and then getting information or switching to another material. I don't know. It can be tough if that's an easy way, but I like the way you explained it. And I can't, I can't. So when you came out to the workshop and we were talking, and again, I'm paraphrasing, talking about, you know, moving to Maker Mix and you know, what maker mix is and what these kind of things are. And you were talking to me about it and about your connection with your materials in a way it almost felt like, again, I hate to use the word insulting, but a little bit, you know, defensive about that. And so anyway, let's talk about that for a minute, but I'm going to let you put your side of it because I really like the way you talked about it. I just think that once you become comfortable using a certain material, it's really hard to like try a mix that has a completely different consistency or uh, requires different curing. Uh, you know, it just basically I wasn't I wasn't doing a lot of the things that that at the class I learned how to do, and when I brought that back. I actually slowly started integrating that while still using the old mix and then trying out some of the maker's mix um, and kind of like slowly adapting into it. Uh, but it definitely took me some time to actually want to choose maker's mix over my mix that I was using, I guess, if that makes sense. Uh, totally. Yeah. And we also, we did a lot of spraying. And now we're kind of doing a lot of like 
hand placement, uh, clay mixes, uh, ECC mixes. We're getting pretty busy with kind of dusty style. Uh, so, and I, I would prefer to not spray. I do have like a huge, I have like a 36 inch exhaust fan that I installed in my shop. It's like a three phase exhaust fan that pumps 17,000 CFM. So it cleans the shop up quick, but just aerosolizing that material. I mean, to not have to wear a full face respirator for half an hour, 45 minutes while spraying and just cleaning up and doing all sorts of stuff. It's a huge deal. And it's, it's just savings on my end, but I just had a really hard time. I, I struggled with going from something that I knew that worked to an extent <laughs> to, to something that I wasn't comfortable with. Uh, but now that I've been using it, I'm super comfortable with the sealer because I've actually done a bunch of tests with different foods and uh, different, you know, foods containing acids. So, I don't know. I just, I've completely changed, I guess, my philosophy. And I will still go back to my old mix for certain things. Um, but for the most part, anything that's going to be used in like a high abrasive, like environment, like a kitchen, I'm, I'm always going to probably use the maker's mix just because I'm very happy with the way that it's performing. And it, it just has a different feel to it. Uh, you guys described it at the workshop, like just, just hit it. Like it's so much hard. It, like it, this is a hard material and to have that like sliding glasses, sliding pots and pans and stuff like that, it just makes me feel more comfortable and I won't receive a bunch of callbacks. Sure. Was there a point in the class when we were saying this is, you know, the best material, whatever it is, <clears throat> the best sealer that it kind of offended you in a way that you kind of felt defensive towards you're like, I'm using this. And these guys are saying, this is better. Did you ever take that in kind of a defensive way? Um, I didn't really take a defensive role because I have used the, the buddy Rhodes ICT in the past. The only thing that I, that I found that I really like with topicals is you get that wet concentrated color on a finished piece. That's that's the reason. And I was so used to that. And then seeing things kind of like when you torch it or when you use the heat blankets, it kind of takes some of that saturation away. You know, it's taking that that moisture out of the concrete. And uh, I'm just so used to seeing that that wet look. I think that's that's how I went into the class. I was used to seeing uh, how topicals look and I wasn't I haven't, I hadn't totally transformed into the penetrating sealer at that point. I went to school and basically a lot of the education that I got. So I went to, I went to school, I got a degree in construction management. So a lot of how I like treat things is I get, I get trained in something and that's the right way to do it. Uh, and then finally, after getting a little bit more experience, you kind of learn that maybe that maybe that mix design isn't the one that I should be using because like what you said, like when I, when I check density between my older mix design and what we're using now, it's just, it's not even comparable and it's so easy to just throw that away and, and use 
something that you know is going to work and be consistent every time. I don't have to worry about my my labor in the shop. I don't have to worry about him weighing out materials correctly. Uh, I all I need to do is get my plasticizer right, my ice, my water, you know, my my pigment, and then we're mixing like we're rolling. But it took you giving it a shot and having a frame of reference. Because up until that moment, you didn't have a frame of reference. And you're like, these guys are just trying to sell a product and they're just talking it up, you know, because they're salesmen. Uh, And we're not salesmen. We're we're actual fabricators. That's what we do. But I think a lot of people feel that way. They're like, they're just saying that to try to sell a product. And did you ever use, because this is another thing I've been hearing a lot lately, rumors that um, this is just repackaged Buddy Rhodes ECC. Did you ever use Buddy Rhodes ECC? So I never did. Okay. Because shipping out to Montana just wasn't really possible. Uh, the, the original class that I went to, they promoted the ECC mix and I looked into it. Uh, I think I bought about like 28 bags or something just to give it a shot. And then I decided to make my own mix gotcha. from there. Uh, but you did use it at one yeah, point. You did mix up 28 I did, bags. I did. Okay. Yeah. So my question to you coffee is coffee tables. And, yeah. But you did mix it. You did place it. You did see it. Is Maker Mix the same as Buddy Rose ECC? Honestly, it's been so long ago, I couldn't even compare it. Eh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> Fake <laughs> news. That's funny. <laughs> I can't give it to you that easily. Well, yeah. dude. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to find somebody that has recently used Buddy Rhodes ECC and Buddy Rhodes ECC is not a bad product. We're not here to bash a product. We're here to talk about differences. And for a lot of guys, Buddy Rhodes ECC might be fine. Keep using it. Like if you're happy and you don't want to change, that's fine. If you're kind of like, uh, if there's something better out there that's denser and pours easier and is stronger and, you know, seals better, I'll give it a shot. Okay, great. Then try Maker Mix. But what I'm saying is I want to find somebody that's used both recently and can say, yeah, I use this. I use that. They're not the same thing because that's a rumor going around that they're the same thing. And I'm like, anybody that's used these products will know they're night yeah, and day no, different. They're, they're night and day. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I, I, and I see it in a very different light. Well, to a degree, I'm kind of honored by it, quite frankly, because I think anybody who's been long, long enough knows how those mater- materials came to be, which is great. So I think it's awesome. I do still think for what it was, based on when it was put together, it was a very good mix. There's no question about it. That being said, comparatively speaking, yeah, ECC will twist your arms off trying to mix it, especially if you try to do, you know, two bags at a time or three or something. And this is an entirely different generation, quite frankly. And it's pretty awesome. It's very, very cool. But I know the guy that made it. So you know, those people putting that rumors out, be aware that, you know, strokes my ego a little bit. So that's cool. But it's not true. The the human side of all this, the emotional side of all this, I think I think that's where I found your words of wisdom hit me really hard when you and I were having that conversation due to the fact that I personally really never looked at this attachment phenomenon specifically to our materials or whatever mixes we were doing at the time or, you know, not wanting or let's say afraid of or timid moving one direction or another. 
So, um, yeah, that's, that's now it's stuck in my head. I literally, I was talking to Martin Haddock about the same thing. And he, this is what really brought it home for me, George is after talking to you and I was like, eh, George, what does he know? Right. It was that afternoon too, you know, UK's ahead of us, but I was talking to Martin who literally came out and I wouldn't say verbatim hit me with the same thing based on what was going on. And that's when I'm really like, oh my God, how did I miss this? How is this no, it's just, hasn't been anything I've looked at versus these two guys just got done totally slapping in my face. Like, come on, John, how do you not know this? So that was really, really cool to me. Well, if we're, if we're talking about the Steelers still, it's, it's just all of these like concrete artisans, you're only as good as your sealer, right? Cause you can build the most beautiful piece that you think that you want. And to have a sealer that fails in six months, I mean, that's that's kind of where it's at. So once you find that topical sealer that works for you or whatever sealer that works for you, you're going to stick with it and you're going to get kind of emotionally attached to it. But, yeah, I mean, you, you got to be able to evolve because it's very difficult to fix a, a topical blemish, especially on a GFRC piece. Um, so that's why I'm totally open to always trying new sealers. I, I can't get like hung up on one certain brand or one certain technique. And I, I would have agreed with you hundred percent, maybe seven, eight years ago that you're only as good as your sealer. Once you make the switch to reactive, then it's, you're only as good as your concrete and your sealer, because if you take a bad concrete mix if you just, let's just say you take a bagged sackcrete type mix from Home Depot and you cast a concrete countertop and you seal it with a reactive sealer, it's not going to perform the same as if you cast it with maker mix or rad mix and seal it with a reactive sealer. So the mix in, in those equations is just as important as the symbiotic relationship. Whereas with a topical, you're actually in some ways better served to have a more porous mix that gives the topical, more mechanical bond to the substrate. And so in those instances, yeah, then the, then the sealer is the defining choice of if you're successful or not successful, because you're relying on that coating for, you know, longevity and customer satisfaction versus kind of the concrete and the sealer working together. Right. Yeah. And and then ultimately, yeah. What the lifespan of that coating is, you know, uh, everything wears out. We all know that we wear out, everything wears out. So at, at what point, how do you address whatever those surfaces are, however they were sealed? You know, and then this is not a good or bad sealer conversation. This is more like just its usability, its function, and then repairability and et cetera, et cetera. So that, you know, I mean, who wants, none of us want a customer base that calls us in two years that needs surfaces replaced because they cannot be repaired. or they're so difficult to repair. It's been our better interest just to replace them, you know? And exactly. You know, yeah. And adding to that, as I keep sitting here, as we're talking, I guess I do understand and continue to get my thinking around this because using you as the example, I mean, this is what, this is what pays your mortgages. You know, this is what, how many guys do you, do you have anybody working with you, George? Yeah, I have a, uh... Two other guys. 
Yeah. So again, I mean, this is what, you know, puts food on their table, puts food on your table. Um, Same with the rest of us, you know, pays my mortgage, pays my bills, pays my car payment or whatever the case may be. And if this, if I get used to it and it seems successful on a certain level, whatever that level of success, you know, is gauged by, then yeah, you know, that can, you know, it can feel very intimidating for anybody to come along or introduce something else that that may compromise that if you don't know it could be better, if that makes sense. Right. Exactly. Like change is hard. Uh, and since, since changing the whole like philosophy of the shop, basically we put out some projects for commercial, we put out, uh, two fairly large scale commercial projects, uh, using the ICT and the makers mix. I actually did a terrazzo, uh, bar top for this kind of Asian fusion restaurant. It was three just massive pieces that came together. but all those pieces or all those, all those projects, they're getting so much abuse and they're getting so much, so much liquid spilled on them, soy sauce, everything that you can think of. And I actually ran into one of the owners at the grocery store the other day, just because Missoula is a small town. So you always run into people that, you know, and she came up to me and she was like, those countertops are just bomber. Like, we can't do anything to them. And it feels like we moved up to from uh, JV to varsity because everybody that comes in there gets, we did like a dusty style finish. And so everybody gets to come up and feel the texture, feel that good, like muriatic acid burn uh, on their fingers. And it just feels real and it's not getting uh, any like blemishes yet and just looks really good. And it's, it's been, it's been actively used for the last three months. And you would think that you'd hear something like I, I would, I would imagine that I'd hear something if I would have put a topical on that bar tub by now, just with all this glassware and everything getting passed through and the, yeah, just the amount of use and traffic that's going through that place. But yeah, it's been it's been great. And that that helps you sleep at night as somebody that does this kind of thing for a living. I'm really enjoying this concrete thing and I'm really enjoying your mix. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part. Brandon, I think I think you're doing a great job. You too, John. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. I need to hear that sometimes. Yeah, honestly, honestly, the the mix and the and the sealer are great. Like this is it's working out really well. And I'm super happy that we've kind of developed a relationship. You yeah, it's been amazing this. meeting with you, and now i got to get up to Montana. I've never been to Montana. Yeah, you should. Yeah, honestly, both of you should come. I'll take you fishing. Do you know anybody named Rip? I don't think so, no. Rip. No. You don't watch Yellowstone? Van Winkle? The, the Yellowstone? Oh. oh. Oh, yeah. You know that's filmed, like, 45 minutes away from here? Yeah, I Yeah, did I thought that was right yeah. in your backyard, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's more like an hour. Yeah. Hour and, three, hour and a half, yeah. It's a good show. Yeah, that's a pretty good show. Yeah. It's a little dramatic. Well, we it's, don't really it's, live like that. It's like Brandon. the Sopranos with cowboys. I mean, it's just killing, killing, killing. People making out, killing, killing, killing. People making out. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I like it. They shut. They actually shut down uh, downtown Missoula because they had to do a scene where you remember uh, the bomb exploded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had to blow out that window in the bank downtown. 
Nice. They they were yeah they shut down downtown just to perform Yellowstone. So based on go ahead, I'm interrupting. I saw it. So I just started thinking about you. Remember in the days when like Van Damme and them people would show up when he was doing his movies and you know try to kick his butt like oh you know you're not really a kickboxer. So do you have people in Missoula that that, you know run ranches, run around just like "Ah, you're not a cowboy and like? (laughs) I'd have to say that Missoula is definitely its own little. It's kind of like the Austin of Texas. It's definitely its own little liberal mecca, in a way. Cool. It's it doesn't really hold the sturdy cowboys. I guess. If I come up there, I'm dressing like <laughs> Dumb and Dumber when I go to Aspen. I'm going to be wearing like <laughs> the whole getup. I'll be walking around Missoula in that. It's actually pretty funny because the place where you can rent suits in town, they have the Dumb and Dumber. Perfect. Do they? Suits. I love it. That's in the awesome. window. In I the window it. year round, not just during prom week. I love it. There you go. That's awesome. awesome. All right, George. Well, we'll catch up again in a few months and see how things are going, man. You got right, it, George. Talk Good talking to you, man. Thanks for coming Thanks, on. Thanks, guys. Adios, amigo. Adios. Adios.